here. I'm co-founder of Finch and venture partner at Scalata Ventures. And welcome to another episode of OzDefi Community Podcast, where we get to know different members of the community, how they got here and what they're working on. Today, I have the very awesome pleasure of interviewing none other than OzDefi and Not Centralized co-founder himself, Arturo, who, along with Mark and Nick, have done a sensational job in creating a vibrant and inclusive Web3 community across Australia. Congrats and welcome, Arturo. Thank you. You make me blush. <laughs> uh, you match your, really you match your jumper. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, so today, I'm really excited about this. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time um, and hope you enjoy being on, on the other side of the uh, of the interview. So today, Atur will be sharing his Web3 journey, specifically his thoughts on what it takes for Web3 to go mainstream, um, moving into a permissionless world, the opportunities and limitations for both creators and consumers. And then of course, some practical considerations from a regulatory perspective, which um, I understand the OzDefi guys are spending a lot of time and energy in trying to make sure we, we do that right. Um, but to kick off, Arturo, you have a fascinating career uh, as, a, as a quant, as a developer, a data scientist, AI, crypto. I'd love to just kick off with a two minute spiel of where you came from and, and how you got here. Um, so as you mentioned, I, I started my career as a, as a full numbers nerd, I guess that's why I'm called numbers on Twitter. And, uh, and that's my, that's my online persona. I like uh, to think of it I, as that you're, you're the numbers guys, numbers guy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so I started off just, uh, uh, understanding risk, which is effectively what you do as a quant and you'd start to, uh, build models that quantify that this risk and risk is actually a really really complicated concept to grasp because you never really it's one of those things that that is always around you but you never really feel it until it stops being risk it's happened right so you know things that have happened are not risks anymore they're realizations right so that was that was like my journey into banking and and derivatives uh, which then turned into actually running risk as a, as a trader. And um, it was all based off building models that would be fully automated. And uh, that kind of led the journey into data science. And I, I had a few startups and uh, jumped into a few projects across multiple industries, but it's always been kind of data and how you solve real world problems using, yeah, using numbers and using data, which is why I kind of, the the web3 space becomes so extremely interesting and it's uh, even more of that intersection between let's call it people culture and uh, actual workflows and and data that's such a great way to put it and and it segues nicely into kind of the, the meat of today's conversation so part of ozdefi's mission is to you know build a community that educates that empowers that advocates for both innovation and regulation at that very prickly intersection. But with it comes almost like an unlearning that's required um, of a lot of the web two sort of ideologies. Um, and whilst the technology advances and we, we, we don't stop building, we continue you know, innovating, there's still this shift this cultural shift, as you described, that needs to happen. So I'd love to hear your opinion on just given that it is so early, and I have a feeling that we'll be saying that for, for, for a little bit longer than we like. Um, but 
what in your mind is it going to take for Web3 to become mainstream? Yeah, it's a, it's a question that we ask ourselves a lot within the community and, and people come to us a lot with that uh, in general. And I think that, the, look, as, as a bit of a, of a nerd that really focuses on detail, uh, it's all about definitions, right? And, and understanding what mainstream actually means. And I think that mainstream means very different things for, for different people, right? If you have, uh, if, if we say that mainstream is about general adoption, but on top of that, add uh, a constraint of general adoption with um, the ability to run a business legally, right? And I think that that's, that's, a, that's an important distinction to make because I remember having this conversation with people on spaces uh, that said, well, look, you can have widespread adoption and we've seen this. You can't kill that off because it's decentralized. And they were referencing uh, BitTorrent. Where BitTorrent is a really interesting scenario where, mm. you know, people use it. A lot of people use it and it's been around since forever, right? And it's disrupted the way in which we look at IP and uh, and monetization of IP and so forth. But nevertheless, to my knowledge, there are no businesses out there that can effectively run on BitTorrent because you know it's questionable at best. Mm -hmm. uh, so I personally would not classify BitTorrent as mainstream. I would classify it as widespread. So if we accept that definition, even there uh, would people envision, let's call it Web3 being mainstream differs depending on Kind of like what end of the spectrum you stand on, right? If you're if you've just come in and uh, and you just think that blockchain is a cool technology and you really haven't kind of like drank the Kool Aid in terms of what decentralization means from a cultural standpoint and and from a governmental standpoint and so forth, then what you think Web three mainstream means is going to be very different to an individual that has properly drank the Kool-Aid and, you know, distrust the government and thinks that permissionless anonymity and so forth is kind of the bedrock of Web3 is, right? Uh, so if, if we then, without kind of going down the route of thinking what I hope Web3 mainstream looks like, but what I actually think that it will effectively look like in, in a few different stages. I think that one of the pivotal things that made Web3 so revolutionary or blockchain is that all of a sudden we could actually transfer value in ways that we couldn't do before, right? And the transfer of value is a highly regulated activity, mm -hmm. more, much more so than people actually think. It's, it's regulated, it's permissioned, it's censored. You know, it's... Um, it's all of those things that blockchain principles kind of goes against um, because as soon as you're able to have a medium where you can transfer large amounts of money, people worry. Uh, we're not talking about, you know, creating a few physical cards like Pokemon cards. And one of those cards is worth a million bucks, which, you know, I'm just making up a number. It's, we're still not talking about a really easy way for you to transfer $10 billion. Uh, which is where regulators care because all of a sudden you start having conversations about, you know, the drug money or, or the North Koreans, which everybody lo loves to, to talk about as a reference case in, in blockchain, right? Uh, but, you know, 
if I am digressing a little bit, but the point is that Web3 enables the transfer of value. And as soon as you enable that, then you have regulatory and legal aspects to take into account. And those aspects will affect decisions that are made because they affect like your physical being, right? You, you will be taken and put in jail or you will have real world repercussions, right? So the, those repercussions or the, that, that legal framework will not change before blockchain tech or adoption of blockchain tech changes in its frame of mind, mm -hmm. right? So let's put it this way. Law will not adapt to technology before technology adapts to law, mm -hmm. right? So under that, if taking that as an assumption, then, then the next stage, I believe, in Web3 is basically seeing that you have the regulated workflows that we see in Web2 but moving on to blockchain. And mm -hmm. then you can have conversations across, this, across the community and say, well, is that really Web3? You know, that's, that's really for mm -hmm. each individual to, to say if, if they think it is or not, right? Mm -hmm. but, but it will be a massive change. Because so for the purpose, even, I'll just I'll just pause you there. No, thank ahead. you, thank you for that. So for the purpose of this conversation, would you describe sort of Web three mainstream as being compliant, in so far as that it it becomes widely accepted as the safe method of interacting? Yes, yes, I think that's a very nice way of saying what I tried to say <laughs> in <many> minutes. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. No, it's, um, listen, it's it's you know the, the the best of both, and I think it's important to to be able to um, understand very simply and, and almost in an oversimplified way. But but that more importantly, there are so many different layers that sit sit within that. Um, when you talk about you know uh, blockchain technology being able to build around um, you know the the regulation, I guess it's a bit of a chicken and an egg scenario and and this has come up um in all kinds of um you know different events that have happened recently you know politically um from a government standpoint different sort of sanctions and bans and um fines and the like how do you go about building something for regulation that doesn't yet exist yeah it's a great question i think that i think that there are two aspects too to that conversation. And one of them is that we lawyers, let's call it us society as a whole, are trying to understand our current legal framework and how to describe um, objects that are not compatible with this framework that exist on chain. And the lack of, of compatibility there is because they live on a permissionless and on a global stage and all of our all of our rules and laws are jurisdictional mm -hmm. right and there is kind of the, there is this moat around each jurisdiction so as soon as an object enters into a jurisdiction physically then um, then you know it's ruled by those it's governed by those rules on blockchain and, and on the internet that doesn't really happen mm -hmm. right um, now that conversation is um, is one part. The other part is to say, well, look, if we want to use blockchain, but we want to live with the current objects that we already understand from a legal standpoint, then how do we move those objects onto blockchain? And what is the benefit of that? So I think that there are gonna be two conversations that mm -hmm. happen in parallel. Mm -hmm. 
the the first one that I mentioned, which was that we're trying to understand how to legally define the new objects is going to take time. People are really confused about it because people are even talking about what is an, an NFT from a legal standpoint. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and in my opinion, that's almost like trying to understand what paper means because you, you have a contract that's written on the paper instead of actually understanding what the contract mm -hmm. actually tells you, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, yeah, I think that the, the beauty of blockchain and Web3 confuses people because it becomes so esoteric it, it, mm -hmm. you, you can kind of ex extrapolate so much in your mind around what those concepts are that mm -hmm. that you try to do many things at once instead of just taking baby steps yeah so so just on those on those two conversations and i think you've, you've divided them really well the first conversation being around almost you know uh needing definitions in place before we do do anything and and that kind of goes back to what the government is seeking to do with the data mapping exercise and understanding the clear definitions and guidelines of of what these different assets are and and what they do um, and the second being kind of how do we uh, bring existing frameworks from web 2 into web 3 can you give some examples of, of that just to kind of bring it to something that maybe we can all, uh, you know, relate to in a, in a more tangible way? What do you, ex what sort of use cases do you expect to see first going, you know, off-chain to on-chain? Okay. I'll, I'll bring two examples there. One, which is a, it's almost a trivial example where we're currently working with uh, with a, a really high-end restaurant, for example, that wants to have memberships into a club that they have. And those memberships are through NFTs, right? That's kind of the, the, the first transformation of, of the concept of a membership, which stays the same, but the medium in which this membership is represented moves from something mm. to an NFT. Uh, I think that that has a lot of, cultural importance in terms of acceptance of, of just dealing day to day with, with concepts that are native to blockchain. Uh, but the ones that will make bigger changes on a different level, which perhaps is more on a financial level or a legal uh, plane are, for example, if I want to have, if I want to create a company and I want the shares of my company to be represented as tokens on the blockchain, then here's where regulation really kicks in because as a company director i have legal obligations to ensure that certain things happen with these shares right that only certain types of people are able to hold the shares mm -hmm. that's in edge cases of law i mean let's say in, in the case of inheritance that i'm able to move the ownership from one person to another uh, these events require permission they, they're not compatible with the permissionless standard that let's call it blockchain currently has, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think that those are the most interesting examples. It's simplest to understand in terms mm -hmm. of how, yeah, how you can make that move. And if we were to bring that back to the argument around mainstream, what are you, what are you seeing in the market now that are examples of um, maybe applications that have light or lighter regulations around that speaks to 
you know, converting the, the normies, converting them to the, the mainstream. Um, and the restaurant example is a great example of, of that. But are there others that you're seeing in the market now, either, either here or, or overseas, that you think, okay, something like that would really trigger, you know, mainstream interest um, and adoption because of the, I guess, maybe minimal regulatory um, exposure? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's a good question. Um, I think I, I like thinking of it as the normies and the crazies, mm -hmm. and um, they're all. At the end of the day, we're all we're all kind of the same people, right? We we're triggered by two things, right? And and one of them is, is let's let's say dopamine, and the other one is uh, is money, uh, or utility, and I think that NFTs were a beautiful use case of of actually bringing attention to mainstream mm -hmm. uh, because it was so simple right it's art uh, and you know on the one hand you can say it's just flipping jpegs yes but it actually created a bit of a cultural revolution so we can't discount the the, the actual cultural value of that event right mm -hmm. everybody knows what an nft is now so that's kind of the first step into taking things mainstream right uh, once people start understanding it, then companies like uh, Starbucks, for example, start coming, becoming more comfortable with creating loyalty programs through NFTs, which is currently happening. I mean, there are a few restaurants out there that are creating memberships. Um, I think that those are slightly utilitarian. I think that they're more gimmicky, uh, to be honest. But that gimmick, again, has a lot of cultural value in, in our you know societal acceptance of this new technology um the parts where it becomes more utilitarian are obviously on the finance side where i would say that the, the increase in, in in transparency and less friction in the transfer of value is super important but that's you know that's been discussed a lot things that haven't been discussed are, for example if you if you're a charity and uh, you you want to get donations typically what happens is that you you know you get a donation and then the the donor is is it should be able to prove that they have made this donation and then get the tax credit for it but nobody really does that on the other hand if you actually use blockchain or nfts then that's a really really simple utility for you to say well look here i prove that i've made this donation because here's the nft that proves it and it's not just a separate piece of paper to the actual transaction you can actually see that this transaction happened this amount of money was transferred to the charity this is the proof that i made that transfer mm -hmm. represented as an nft and then i can go to the ato and say guys i've actually done this gave my money back mm -hmm. Right, it's it's it creating a lot of let's call it liquidity in terms of access to existing things that were just really difficult to access mm -hmm. before because you needed to have paperwork and accountants and this mm -hmm. and that to make proof of, of validity. And are you seeing not for profits in the space? Yes, uh, we we're currently working in projects like that. Um, so to be clear, we haven't seen the use of blockchain for the attribution of tax credits yet, which I think is a novel application. Uh, but we definitely have seen the use of blockchain and even uh, Tornado Cash as being uh, you know, a pivotal tool in, for example, funding resistance in Ukraine mm. or you know, in, in many 
in many countries with political instabilities and and let's call it economic chaos, right? Where I, you know, to a certain extent, I would put that, that I would put that into the charity bucket if I kind of generalize that as a humanitarian cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it, it's always fascinating because you think those are the organizations that can benefit the the most from from this kind of technology in so in so many uh, you know in so many ways. Uh, this morning, just at the cafe, there's like people raising money for you know surf life saving, and with their little tin cans, you just think, gosh, are we still there? And that that's the reality. Um, so it's 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 encouraging to hear that there there are organisations that you know are building out those capabilities. Um, and and so one 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 thought on that actually, I, I don't know how many times I've been stopped by people at Woolies or something like that mm-hmm. that are raising money for for really really important causes, mm-hmm. and I engage within them and I get really really excited about it. But then it comes down to you have to give your details to these individuals, and at the end of the day, you don't even yeah. know who they are, mm. right? And I, I I just know enough about cybersecurity to just not give my details to people randomly on the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then that means that they just don't get my money, which I'm actually willing to give them. Mm-hmm. And blockchain could change that dramatically. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um. I'd like to maybe just switch gears now, go go back to regulation. Um, and uh, I just read in the news this morning around uh, Kim Kardashian getting um, hit with this, you know, $1.25 million fine from the SEC for promoting Ethereum Max, not because she didn't disclose that it was a paid ad, but I think she missed out like the amount or something. And, um, you know, laughable because she's governed by these, again, like decades old <laughs> rulings that um, seemingly don't, don't apply and, and again, not necessarily bad actors, but people are just caught in the greyness of, um, you know, of regulation or non-existent regulation at the moment. Um, who regulates crypto in Australia today? I believe. Okay. Uh, crypto okay so to ask that is almost like asking who regulates paper mm. because bills are printed on paper right and again it's it's, it's a question of definition right mm. uh, are we saying are we regu- who regulates blockchain or who regulates the tokens that are traded on on you know on blockchain which usually is rep- is, is what people think of when they say crypto. Um, I think that the regulator here is quite clear in terms of being ASIC, right? And then you have uh, you have consumer laws as well. I, I don't know who's responsible for regulating the consumer laws, uh, but um, I think that at the end of the day, that the, the big confusion is that people are kind of bundling everything into this one, one object. Mm-hmm. And this object is a medium for you to either transfer value, which typically is a currency and it's regulated mm-hmm. by those laws, or it's a security and it's regulated by those laws, mm-hmm. or it's neither or, and then it has cons- consumer protection laws that are kind of governing it, right? Yes. So my follow-up question would be like, are they the right Are they the right people? And that may not be an answer you, <laughs> you, you say out too loud, um, but, you know, are they the right agencies to, to be coming up with these rules just because there's debate around you know the different projects outcomes utilities value that may or may not necessarily sit under that single um 
umbrella. Yeah, I think that it's um, not speaking uh, about the concepts in detail properly is it creates a disservice because the job of government and regulators is it's a bit of a thankless task, right? It's same with, with collecting tax. Everybody hates paying tax and they know it. They probably don't like paying tax themselves, right? But it needs to happen. Uh, so I think that when, when, when we think of, well, who's regulating crypto without actually saying, well, who's actually taking care of, who's regulating Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is a, is a specific object that is used as a transfer of value. And there you need to say, well, is it a currency or is it a, is it a security? And yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I can't say because I don't know, right? But mm -hmm. at least we're talking about specific things that yeah. specific agencies can go in, come in and say, this is my view, right? Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. so the, the flip of that, sorry, is that people actually, even the regulators get pressure mm. from the community saying, well, are you regulating crypto? And then they say, uh, yes, we are. So what do we do about it? Well, we just cut everything, right? Because yes. we don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. So tell us more about the conversations that you have been having to date with, with regulators here in Australia and um, I guess some of the thinking behind uh, possible solutions or methodologies that you're presenting them with. Yeah, that's, um, that's another big topic. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cheeky. I'm trying, trying to sneak it in the last sort of five to ten minutes okay. of our chat, although it's okay. more like okay. a two-hour conversation. Yeah. I'll do my best. Cliff, cliff notes. <laughs> uh, my my engagement with government has been limited. Government is massive, but it has been fantastic. It's been very open-minded. It's been very curious, and on um like on on, on a private level, it's also been. I would, I would argue it's been very realistic in terms of understanding that there are many different lobbies. They understand the, the acts that each lobby has within you know, their, their reason to want to have regulation or not to want to have regulation. And I genuinely believe that the individuals at least that I speak to at a governmental level really care about making sure that the rules that they put in place do not apply for innovation. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, keep the general population safe. Now, I think that the second one is the really tricky one, right? Because that safety in the general population is, is ultimately achieved through education, not by putting in rules. Because it's not like highly regulated environments, like, for example, equities and so forth, are not right with scams and so forth as well, right? And even if you don't talk about scams, even if you talk about stupid investment decisions, everybody makes them. And there are people that, you know, leverage off their houses and so forth and lose everything and then they're completely screwed. It happens there as well, right? Mm -hmm. So again, it's a very difficult problem to solve, right? Now, in terms of, of solutions to the really difficult problems, uh, I think that there are two camps. One camp is, uh, is, or let's say three camps. One that is only playing the blame game. Uh, one that is uh, playing the blame game thinking that it's an actual solution, which I think is a really dangerous one mm -hmm. uh, because um, they'll go in with, you know, a, a frame of mind thinking that I'm, I'm really making a change here, uh, but they don't know what they're changing. 
And I think that here again is where the detail comes in. Unless you kind of have a JIRA board or unless you have a, a very, very clear view on what the outcome should be, mm -hmm. then you mm -hmm. don't have a solution. You're just making noise. Mm -hmm. And it's important for people to understand that if I'm gonna, make, if I'm gonna make noise, then that's what I'm doing. I'm not pretending to have a solution. Mm -hmm. And then you have the other ones uh, where, where I, I try to position ourselves which are saying, well, look, this is the playing field. And given the information that we have right now, this is a potential route. Uh, it's probably not the best route, but if you're, you know, if you've developed software or anything engineering, like you know that it's an iterative process and you need to have a, a clear framework or a, a toy model that acts as a reference point in the conversation mm -hmm. so that others can come in and say, yeah, I agree with this or no, I don't agree with mm -hmm. that because X, Y, and Z. And then you just kind of work yourself forward, right? Mm -hmm. So the route that we're taking in this case is just thinking about, well, we're not changing any rules. We're accepting that these are the features of a security of a financial product and you know, identify all these different regulated objects and then understand how do we actually take those regulated objects and have a framework on chain for them to exist? Which is again, I'm not saying that we're regulating Web3, I'm saying that we're just kind of moving Web2 regulation onto blockchain. Mm -hmm. But that's that's a first step, right? Mm -hmm. Because as we get more comfortable with that, then we can start thinking about, about well, what does it actually mean to describe what blockchain or what Bitcoin is from, from a, a legal standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. And has it been, and you know, I commend you for coming up with that, that first iteration that that's the most difficult because once you've got that, everyone else, you know, you can open source it and other people can contribute their, their input and their opinions. And has that been the response? Have you seen, you know, various parties sort of use, use that as a point of reference? Yes, I, I think the feedback has been astonishingly positive, to be honest. And it's, I think that it's because people see it as, as a, just a direction for, um, uh, let's call it um, an applicable solution, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it, it all started when we, as contract developers, got more and more worried with regards to the, the, the legal exposure that we have. And, and then we thought, well, how are we gonna deal with this? And the answer was just get a bunch of lawyers, which is expensive. And we also acknowledge that not every developer is able to do this. And the reason why we got into Web3 was because it's one of those places, communities where an 18 year old can come up with a brilliant idea, mm -hmm. it and just iterate through it, right? Make, make it happen. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think, unfortunately, that that solo 18 year old is necessarily going to be able to take up as, as much space in the next let's call it iteration of web3 as they mm -hmm. did in the first one mm -hmm. um simply because it's a scary concept to think that that an 18 year old will create something that has uh you know a, a tdl of a few billion dollars right mm -hmm. uh but nevertheless i think that it's still an iteration that is positive if we compare to that only being available to bankers, fund managers, mm -hmm. and, and individuals that are kind of part of a specific social sphere. Mm -hmm. yeah. it, it really dem democratizes the ability to, to transfer value and kind of assign value. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just mindful of time and I want to find a really clever way to bring in all of the <laughs> 
<laughs> the great, great insights. Um, but I might just just very quickly kind of summarize uh, what I took from this conversation, and, and I really hope that the that the listeners really enjoy it. Um, you know, I think that the regulation is uh, is it is the prickly part of all of this, but it's it's so key that we're um, aware of our power uh, to influence and shape it. Um, and whilst there are things that remain out of our control and unknown from a definition standpoint as it relates to the different assets, but also as it relates to our internal definitions of what it means to be mainstream, what it means to be permissionless, what trust um, how trust, you know, is shifting. Um, while those things are yet to be sort of firmed, uh, um, there is an opportunity to bring what we do know uh, has worked from sort of the Web 2 legal regulatory framework into the Web 3. So promising to see that there is, there is a reference point um, and that those conversations, you know, are moving forward in, in kind of that that constructive manner, but also, you know, trying to get more and more builders and creators involved in these conversations because, you know, this will ultimately impact um, what we can, can and can't, can't do quite simply. Um, so on that note, I'd like to maybe end with a question to you on what, what advice do you have for, for builders out there who may have concerns around, you know, some of these regulatory uh, rules that, that are yet to come? Yeah, I think, okay, so I'll have two answers to that. One of them on the technical side, and it's that if, um, if you choose to go down the route of not educating yourself in terms of the law, you must stay anonymous and be very careful about that you know keeping your identity private because it's quite likely that you will be doing something that at some point retroactively mm. will be seen as uh, you know as a, as a legal risk and it'll be a big problem for you um on the other hand if you do want to go down the route of of acknowledging or rather being honest with the intent of tokens and then being financial products then you know understand what it is that you need to do mm -hmm. and which is not a it's not a simple thing uh and and do it properly right because at the end of the day if you if you're going to make making a lot of money you want to be able to use that money freely uh so yeah just think about that the second part i think is more emotional in terms of or the cultural aspect and um and i would i would typically think i would say that it's a very passionate environment uh, it's very easy to to get lost in in the concept of freedom mm. but freedom is not a generic ideal right it's to, to properly talk speak about freedom you need to say well freedom to do what specifically uh, and um, be honest with yourself about what type of freedom it is that you're actually fighting for and uh, also think that freedoms that you have in one country are not the same as the ones that you have in others, right? So, you know, if, if your worry is that the government is going to come over and take all your stuff and you're living in Australia, you might be over hedging by quite a lot mm. in relation to if you're living in Venezuela, for example, right? So, so try not to be as idealistic in the way that you actually act. Try to be more pragmatic. Mm -hmm. and identify the problem that you're actually solving and then actually solve that specific problem right mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Just be open, right? Because, you know, as a maverick, you're expecting change, but you need to be able to apply that change to yourself also and, you know, mm -hmm. iterate your own line of thought mm -hmm. and not stick to your guns just because, right? Brilliant. And on that note, um, thank you so very much for your time, Arturo. Loved all the insights. Um, so many different kind of layers and topics we covered today. Uh, very ambitious to do it in, in under 30 minutes, but I, but I think we managed. Um, look, hopefully we get an opportunity to have more conversations like this where we get to dig deeper and build on you know, people's understanding and knowledge of, of some of the, the challenges and, and more excitingly the opportunities. Thanks again for your time. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Take care. Thank you for having me. See ya.